The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. Good morning. Wow. Hey, how are we doing out there? Good. Great to see you today. Uh, one thing before I jump in, look at the last guy we're going to look at this summer. Um, <clears throat> just wanted to let you know, one of the things that myself and the leadership team at the church have identified as, as something that um, uh, we need to do better at, me be more, me more proactive with, is providing some maybe some training opportunities uh, bringing people in, just helping us to talk about how in the world do I incorporate my faith into my relationships, my coworkers, my friends, my family. Um, many of us, a lot of times, just struggle with uh, not sure how to approach that. I'm not sure, and probably a lot of us have walked away from a conversation or a time and felt like, man, I, I knew what I should have said, or what I wanted to say, but I just couldn't pull, pull the trigger. Is that an appropriate thing to say anymore? I don't know, pull the trigger. Um, uh, and I just couldn't do it. And, um, and so, guess what? We have an opportunity for you, August 24 and 25, on a Friday night for a couple hours and Saturday morning. We're bringing in a guy called Mark Bain. He's actually, uh, so in the Nazarene church, this is a big wig. This is what a big wig looks like. We still use that term too, big wig. That might be something old, like big shot. I don't know what you use today. Like, um, what do you, I don't even know what you guys use today, but um, this guy is, I've been able to see him a couple times, listen to him. Uh, I've got to know him a little bit. This guy is totally legit, and his story is, is really incredible. Um, basically, what I, the best I can tell you is, you come and hear this guy, um, you're going to be better because of it. Um, his own personal life story, and then what God's doing in his life, um, just incredible. And um, so you'll see a lot of information about that starting to come out uh, Tuesday when we're all in the office. Uh, we'll start putting stuff on Facebook and, and other ways. But um, if you just have ever, if you want to spend some time, just take some hours of your life and think about and, and listen to someone who has done well with this, uh, just how can I do better in, in sharing my faith? 
and in my relationships that I have to capitalize on how to, to uh, just, you know, bring up and share what God, what through Jesus Christ has done in me. This will be a great opportunity for you. So uh, August 24, 25, Mark Bain will be here. Just wanted you to know about that. When you think about somebody or the best stories or what, or let me put it this way. What comes to your mind when you think of someone who is a villain becoming a hero? Villain to hero. A lot of times we think about hero to villain, right? Villain to hero. Well, who comes to your mind? How many of you, this, this guy came to your mind? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah? I had a few people in first service. They thought about uh, How about this one? Now, what was interesting is, yeah, some of you are, yeah. So um, I had like, I don't know, four people after service, first service, and Darth Vader, he never was good. Well, I don't know. Maybe you need to go back and watch the movies and watch when he ends. I tend to think that the, the Star Wars creators were trying to show us a side of Darth Vader as he steps in to, to fight for Luke, and then as he ends, as he dies, I don't know. Maybe, if anything, I just, uh, I, I helped the, the Star Wars people by making you go back and watch the movies this week. <laughs> or maybe, uh, maybe real life. Maybe you don't know, but just in our own, you know, the last 50 years or so or more than that, uh, maybe it would be Oscar. Oscar was, uh, Oscar was a, uh, a pretty self-centered dude. He was ate up with making money. Um, he wasn't a very good husband, honestly. He was unfaithful. Um, and you know, when this, this movement started in his country, he quickly latched onto it. And in fact, he became a prominent member of the Nazi party in the late 30s. In fact, he became a spy for the Nazis. Uh, through his business travels, he would go into like Poland and he would observe uh, their, 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 their infrastructure. And he would, he would go back and he, would, he, he basically became a spy for the Nazi party. A man, a businessman, ate up with just consumed with making money and latches onto this, 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 this teaching, this, this Adolf Hitler guy. And so looking on, all of us would look at him as complete villain. I mean, complete villain. But you know, Oscar's story took a little bit, of, it took a turn. Because as he got wrapped up in all of that and he, uh, he continued to pursue his business and then he is a Nazi in the middle of World War II, he begins to be affected by the way that um, the Jewish people are being treated. It, it, it begins to mark him. It begins to, to change his heart and mind. In fact, he's affected by it so much that Oscar decides that he has to do something about it. And so for three or four years in the middle of World War II, Oscar literally risks his life every day and sacrifices his entire fortune. The man ate up with money, ends up penniless, destitute and broke by the end of the war, doing his best to rescue, hide, and help Jews escape from Nazi Germany. You probably recognize his last name, don't you? Oscar Schindler. 
You've, uh, you've probably seen the movie Schindler's List. Literally, this man goes from villain, and now we recognize him as a hero today. But you know, I think it's pretty undisputable. The biggest villain to hero story in all of Scripture is the guy we want to talk about today. The Apostle Paul. Um, if you understand Paul's life, you understand that he is born in Tarsus. It's not in Israel. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not, it's not in, he was a Jew that was born outside of his country. Comes from a family of means. Comes from a, it lives in a place that's very cultured. He grows up uh, with wealth. He grows up with um, a sense of culture. Um, and in fact, his, his parents who are devout Jews send him back to Jerusalem because they have the means and the ability and are able to help him to sit under the greatest teacher of his day, Gamaliel. And Paul takes those opportunities he's given. Uh, We talk about white privilege, right? Or they talk about white privilege, I don't know. Um, Well, Paul was privileged in every kind of way. But not only was Paul privileged, he did something about it. In fact, so much so that if you're looking at a who's who's list uh, of Jerusalem, about AD 20, after Christ 20, Paul's name's right at the top. He's the guy that when you sit around at, at dinner, you know, at the different, at, I don't know if they had bars back then or whatever, wherever they got together, um, you know, I, I, inevitably the conversation, we talk about the movers and shakers, Paul's name would come up. Paul became what they called a Pharisee. He became very qualified. He was a lawyer. Uh, he became so qualified that he, uh, he received a seat on the Sanhedrin. It was the authoritative court in all of Israel. This young man has risen so fast that he is an accomplished, recognized, prominent person who literally the rest of his life, the rest of his life is out in front of him and he is set. I mean, he is set. We're introduced to him in Acts chapter seven. Um, Of course, he started out his life with the, the name Saul, right? And we're introduced to Saul when after Jesus has left and his, his, the church has started um, and it's, immediately facing all sorts of persecution. It's facing persecution from the Roman Empire, but it's also facing persecution from the Jewish religion who hate this this group of people who claim that they they, uh, they know the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. We are introduced quickly to Saul in in that, that, that vivid story of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. You remember Acts chapter seven, it's a captivating story as as Stephen is drug out and as he's stoned, okay? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, man, there is some brutal stuff. Just think about throwing stones at somebody until they die. 
Um, and that's what happens to Stephen. And we read in that story that the, the ones who picked up the stones to stone took off their ardor garments so they could throw better, and they laid them at the feet of Saul. And it shows us that Paul or Saul is an absolute prominent person in all of this. And we're introduced to him being um, there at Stephen's death. In fact, Paul became so um, captivated and passionate and committed to trying to stamp out this religion, this, this group of people, this, these Jesus people, that he probably became the point man for the persecution that the church endured early on. It was Paul who was leading raids into communities to pull out Christians so that they could be tried and then at times executed, punished. It was Paul who in his mind he's protecting the Jewish faith and he becomes consumed with stamping out this group of people. That's Saul. That's who we're introduced to. But you remember Saul's story is he's so consumed that he's willing to travel to a different country to, to, to uh, try to capture Christians in a different country and he's going to Damascus, which is modern day Syria, right? And he's leaving the country and is on his way to Damascus that the Lord appears to Saul in a blinding light and then I believe in his own person because Paul testifies that he had talked to the risen Lord just as the all other 11 apostles. I believe the light blinded him and in that moment uh, as Jesus appears to him and starts to talk to him, um, Jesus himself is talking to Paul. And Paul in that moment, now listen, this is not, this is not ordinary, Right? Um, this is extraordinary. This is one of those wow moments in the history of the world when, when Jesus is, is appearing to somebody like this. And in that moment, Paul was able to see clearly, to see clearly that absolutely Jesus was the Messiah. And in those moments, Paul makes a life choice to turn his life completely around instead of persecuting the church, becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul then um, uh, becomes a devoted follower of Jesus. And for a few years, his life is just is consumed by learning about Jesus, growing in Jesus. It's, it's years where um, he has trouble uh, relating or, or, or grouping together with other Christians because they don't trust that he's legit, right? This has been the guy that's, that's literally been their greatest fear in this world. All of a sudden, he claims to be like them. And so there's years where Paul is, uh, is kind of shunned. Um, he's on his own. And yet, over time, it becomes apparent to everybody that he is, he is, he is legit. I've said that word like five times today. That's my word for the day, legit, okay? Um, <clears throat> and so it becomes apparent that he's a, he's a Christian. And so they embrace him and invite him in. And then it becomes very apparent that actually God is calling Paul to become a leader. A side lesson I wanna remind you of from Paul's life. It's not the main thing, just something to drop here. Maybe some of you need to hear your past does not have to determine your future. Paul's start 
his past. In fact, this is what he says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Jesus who's given me strength. He considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Listen, Paul's story is one who engaged in all sorts of really bad behavior. And yet, he becomes the most effective Christian that this world has ever seen. It should remind us, if we're looking at Paul's life, there's just something that should click with us, that your past does not determine your future. I have met so many people who their, their past is checkered, okay? <laughs> there's things they don't even really like to talk about, about their past. And along the course of their life, they've realized and found the grace of Jesus into their heart. And they have experienced forgiveness and a new life. And I mean, all things, old things are passing away, old, new things are, all things are becoming new. But yet they live, they live in the back of their mind with this weight on their heart that really because of what they've been involved in and where they've been and who they've been, that, that, that God could never really use them. Um, yes, they've become his child, and yes, they've experienced this new life, but God really can't use them because of what they're, and I'm telling you today, if anything you learn from the life of Paul, that is absolutely not true. I mean, we're talking like a, a serious offender here, Paul, in the eyes of God, and yet he becomes the most effective Christian this world has ever seen. Your past does not determine your future with Jesus Christ. Absolutely not. He becomes a leader in the church. In fact, he takes one missionary journey, he takes two missionary journeys, he takes three missionary journeys. And in his missionary journeys, God gives him so much success that literally, if you look at history, you would say that there was that small group of Jesus people in Jerusalem, a few thousand of them, and all of a sudden, within 30 years, those few group of Jesus people, it becomes a world religion all over Greece and Macedonia and the Middle East at that time. There are Christians everywhere, and the church has literally grown at an unprecedented rate. And really, if you look at it, you can point it back to the efforts of one man primarily, and that's Paul. I mean, he is the guy that God used to expand his church. What we realize even today impacts us today, the life of Paul. And I would remind you that another side lesson from Paul, if you read Paul, he ends up writing most of the New Testament that we read. Here's what he says about himself. I mean, this guy's accomplished. I mean, he is like, you look at his resume, um, if, you're, if you're trying to get the same job, you're walking away because his resume is unparalleled. And yet this is what he would say about himself, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He would say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of you thought of Popeye? Come on. So unspiritual, right? I am what I am. <laughs> By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul, another side lesson we need to recognize, it's true in Paul's life, it's true all over scripture, and it's true still today. It's this, God only uses those who are over themselves. 
Paul, as accomplished as he was, when you read his own personal letters, you see a man who recognizes that he's not smart enough, he's not talented enough, he's not smart enough, he's not whatever. It's always been the grace of God working in his life. That's why Paul did what he did. That's why God could use him the way he did is because Paul got over himself. He stopped believing in him and he believed in the grace of God that God gave to him. And I would remind you just as a side lesson from Paul's life, if you're kind of taking brief snapshots, he reminds us that God uses only those who get over themselves. Paul's the same guy says that the life that I live, I no longer live in my own flesh, but it's in Christ in me that empowers me to do all that I do. And if you're looking to make a significant impact in your circle of influence, if you want to be remembered by your family as someone who is consistent, who is faithful, who is, um, you know, just a pillar, a rock, someone they could lean on, someone they could turn to, someone that loved them, someone that went the extra mile for them, someone that if you want to be remembered in your community or in your workplace as someone that was just faithful and trustworthy, a person of integrity, if you want that to mark your life through the span of your life, then I would remind you that it calls for you to come to a point where you get over yourself and you rely on Jesus Christ and his power every day in your life. That's what Paul is teaching us. I am what I am, but by the grace of God. And you begin to rely on a higher power than yourself. That is the secret to success in your life. And Paul models that. But you know what? There's, there's one thing I want to just anchor to this morning. There's one thing about Paul's life. You could say a ton of stuff about Paul. A ton of stuff. But I, I just am captivated by this part of his life. I think it communicates something to, that we need to hear so much. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 about his own life. He says this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, the 39 lashes. Five times I was whipped publicly in a very, uh, a very severe, very, uh, I mean, they talk about pain, humiliating, um, beat you to almost a point where you're, anyway, you get the idea. Five times that happened to me. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Literally spent all night in, in the sea hanging on to a plank, just hanging on for dear life. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. 
I have been cold, I have been naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches that God has helped me to start. This is what I want us to remember about Paul's life. Because if you read through Acts, and you're reading about Paul, what, who was this guy, what did he do, what happened, you would see this over and over and over again. He goes somewhere, he has to run. He goes somewhere, he barely escapes. He goes somewhere, they catch him and throw him in jail. He goes somewhere, they stone him. He goes somewhere, all of this stuff, over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, it gets to a point where Paul ends up being such a prominent figure that the Roman Empire takes notice and they call him to trial to Rome and ultimately they execute Paul. And he dies the death of a martyr. And yet, in all of this stuff, I think there's something for us to learn. And it's this. It's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For what we preach is Jesus Christ, and we're servants of Jesus. God who said, light shine out of the darkness, the same God who makes the light shine now through Jesus Christ has literally come into our dark hearts and shine light. Just as the world was dark and without void, and he said, let there be light through Jesus Christ coming into our heart, our hearts are dark, he brings light. And he shines this light in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says that this that he has given us, this treasure, this life of God, this, this life that um, brings, brings hope, and brings what Jesus brings and forgiveness and love and, and everything that we need. He says this treasure, is, it, it's in these jars of clay. It, it's us, we're jars of clay. And this treasure is put in these common, ordinary jars of clay to do what? To show that this all-surpassing power that is from God and not from us. And then he testifies to this. We have been hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this is what I want us to get from Paul's life. It's simply this. Paul changed the world. But it wasn't easy. And in fact, I ask myself, how in the world, how in the world do you explain how a man could face all of that and still keep a consistency a faithfulness. He never wavered. He keeps moving. He keeps preaching. He keeps confronting. He doesn't change. How in the world could anybody face those kinds of circumstances day in and day out and do what he did? How does that happen? He says we are hard-pressed on every side. Listen, 
that idea of being pressed in every way but not crushed is a picture of, of a football quarterback who's being blitzed by linebackers, an all-out blitz. And literally, you know, they're sending seven guys and there's not enough guys to block him. And the quarterback is scrambling for his life, but he escapes. He said, that's how life has been for me. It has been like an all-out blitz, and yet every time I have been able to escape. He says, we're perplexed, but not in despair. It's this picture of, of somebody inheriting a new business and walking in and literally the other people just walking away. And a person sitting at the desk with all of the graphs and charts and reports and financials and having no clue where to start or what to do. Some of you are like, you're not talking about business, you're talking about my own personal life, right? Are we awake? I just totally put you to sleep. No, I can tell. It's like that. I'm just literally perplexed. I don't know what to do with this. But he said in the middle of that, even though I have been so confused, why God, I'm doing all this, I've literally, I could be, I could be retired right now, already at the age of 40, living the high life as a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin. Why God, I step out for you and everywhere I go, I'm stoned, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, persecuted, I'm doubted. Even my own Christian people say things like, you know, they, they doubt me. Everywhere I go, it's, 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 it's trouble. Why, God? This isn't fair. But he said, I've never despaired. I've never quit. Even though it's been confusing, and even though I didn't understand, I never threw the towel in. I never got to a part where I threw my hands up and just said, I don't understand you, Jesus. I'm walking away. He said, he says, I'm persecuted, but I've not abandoned. It, this idea is the idea of being hunted like a wild game and yet being able to elude the hunter. He says, I am struck down, but not destroyed. This picture is the word image of a boxer who has been knocked down and the referee is counting and yet he gets back up before the count comes to 10. This is what Paul says his life was and this is what he says our life will include. And yet, in the midst of all of the hardship and the trial and the suffering, he accomplished more than any other Christian has ever accomplished. And when I look at Paul's life and I'm trying to understand, what do I communicate to you about Paul? And you read his story and it's all this stuff all the time. What is it, what do I need to realize? What do I need to know? And I think it's exactly what he says here, that the all-surpassing power of God is revealed. You know, I, I read about Paul, I don't identify with Paul. <laughs> because, honestly, sometimes the most aggravating part of my day is getting behind somebody that's driving the speed limit. Some of you caught that. Right? 
And the most aggravating part of my day is the, the restaurant doesn't, they ran out of something. That's the biggest persecution I face today, right? I sometimes struggle identifying with Paul, and yet I have realized that adversity absolutely comes into our lives. And although my day might be easy with some of those menial things, there's other days when it's a doctor's report, when it's a friend's betrayal, when it's something at, well, for me, not normally, it's not something at work, but it could be. I know that's what our life includes, though. In fact, Jesus said, in this world we have trouble. And I'm speaking to people who absolutely know what it's like at times to be blitzed, to be perplexed, to even be knocked down. And how in the world do you and I live lives that are consistent, that are faithful, that are able to keep getting back up, that are able to not despair, that are able to live through circumstances and still keep our character, keep our integrity, stay true to what we know to be right, to not become jaded or cynical or even agnostic. How in the world when we're hard-pressed and perplexed and struck down and persecuted, how in the world do I still, do I still be, be effective for God when I feel the weight of different stuff in my life? Paul reminds us that in his own life it was one thing and it's still one thing. And that is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not, well, they were a tougher person than that person. They just were tougher. Or they just, they were more, they had a better disposition to face suffering. And they, they did better. They didn't. No, the answer can be the same for every one of us. How in the world do I continue to be who I'm supposed to be regardless of life circumstances? It's the all-surpassing power of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you want to continue to be who God has always called you to be, if you want to, regardless of circumstance, continue to be who God has called you to be, then Paul reminds us and teaches us from his own life that there is one thing. That is the all-surpassing power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's why Paul would testify to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. He would say this. Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I boast. I don't boast in all the things that I've accomplished. 
I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul recognized that what he had to have, what was indispensable for his life, was the power of Jesus' spirit in him. And in fact, he recognized that what happened was that when he was most vulnerable, when he was weakest, when he was facing the most severe trial or the most difficult of circumstances, that actually he was in prime position for God to do his greatest work. Are you hearing me this morning? Your adversity you're hard pressed, your perplexity, you're being struck down is actually an opportunity for God to do his greatest work. And Paul realized my circumstances are not favorable. My life is not easy. But that's okay. In fact, in this hardship, in this suffering, it creates in me a weakness, a vulnerability that then in those moments, God's power comes on me in such a great way that I am able to accomplish things I never thought I would accomplish. And the guy who changed the church and really impacted the course of the world was a guy who would say, listen, I'm best when I'm weakest. How many of you today can identify with being weak and vulnerable? Absolutely, we know what that is. And often we look at those moments and we think, I just need to to do better. I need to try harder. I need to figure out more. I need, I need, I need. In fact, all the while, God's just saying what you need to do is just rest and trust and depend on my power. Tap into my strength. Don't be ashamed of being weak. Don't be ashamed of being vulnerable. But allow those circumstances to cause you to grab onto me more. And when you do that, my strength is so powerful that I am going to do something so great in your life that it's not only going to overcome your circumstance, it's going to make a lasting and significant impact in your world. That's what happened with Paul. And that's the principle of the kingdom that Paul models for us that we need to grab a hold of. My grace is sufficient for you. And in fact, his grace is so sufficient, I'm okay with being vulnerable. I'm okay with being weak. I'm okay with hardship. I'm okay with suffering. I'm okay with not being enough. Because when I get to that point, when I realize I'm not enough, then God's power kicks in and does incredible, great things. And so the takeaway thought I want you to just think about when you go from here is simply this. My adversity multiplies God's grace. My vulnerability is the place where God does his best work. Would you be okay with being weak, with being vulnerable, with not having all the answers and not having all the ability? 
Well, that's the place exactly that Paul lived his life always. And he found that that wasn't a bad place to be. That was the best place to be. Because it caused him to turn to Jesus so much more. And when he turned to Jesus, God's power just was mighty. And he changed his world. He changed his world. You're not going to find many people talk as highly about anybody as they do Paul. Would you pray with this morning as you stand? Father, this goes so cross-cultural to so many things that our world teaches us. And yet this is the principle of a consistent, faithful, effective life coming to the end of our strength and finding that your strength is so much better. Paul changed the world because of this. He did not have favorable situations. He did not have resources at his disposal. He did not have what our world would say he needed to have to change the world. In fact, he had so much adversity But it was that adversity that caused him to rely on the greatest power and greatest strength, which is Jesus Christ. And he did far beyond what he ever could have accomplished in his own strength. And that's what we need to see today. Bring me to a point, Jesus, where I'm done with believing in my own ability and I'm trusting in your power and your strength and your grace. Make it so for each one of us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing as we go today?
you and keep you may his face shine upon you have a great rest of your week we'll see you next week